Well, it's nice to be uh, here in Carmen once again. Uh, Danny spoke of how long it's been running. Stacy and I had the privilege of being members of this fine congregation from June 1st of 1995 to the end of February of 2011 when we retired and moved to Winnipeg. Danny talked uh, yesterday about uh, used to being running up to the the platform to the podium to preach. And I need to tell you, it made me think of something. Uh, I've had two nightmares uh, as one who from time to time preaches God, God's word and at one time did it for a number of years on a full-time basis. One of them was falling down as I was coming up to preach. The other one was that I'd be called upon to preach and I wouldn't have a thought in my head to share. Let me tell you, both of my, my nightmares were fulfilled. One time I caught my foot on the edge of the podium and fell up onto the stage. The other time we were members of the Weyburn congregation. Eamon Morgan, who was the preacher at the time, came and found me in the annex of the Weyburn church building where I was. Stacey and I were sitting for the adult class, and he said, Vince, you're down, wanted down in the main auditorium to teach the adult class. And I said, Eamon? I'm not on. He said, oh yeah, I called you. No, he never did. And he swore up and down he called me, and I went up there basically without a thought in my head. Fortunately, fortunately, I had been teaching a class, I believe it was in Romans, and uh, we got through it that day. So both of my nightmares are over. No more worries. You can go to sleep if you want. On January, oh, by the way, uh, I want you to know if I go past, if I go past, the 30 minutes here, the half hour, uh, blame Chad because he was over. My watch today was, uh, was calibrated to CBC time, the long dash at 12 o'clock. So on January 3rd, Randy had sent an email about the lectureship and the fruits of the spirit. And when I read that, I flipped over to Galatians chapter five and read the attributes of the fruits of the spirit and I thought I would like to speak on gentleness, perhaps unconsciously because I'm not always a gentle person. But in my devotional readings on Sunday, January the 8th, the scripture reading for the devotional I was reading was Matthew 11, verse 28. And I thought about Jesus' description of himself as being gentle and humble. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to read that right now as we start to think together. Jesus says in Matthew 11, beginning verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. And then I'd like you to go to Galatians chapter 5 to make sure we are staying referenced here. Galatians 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Going back to Matthew 28, where Jesus talks about gentleness and humility, 
Those two go hand in hand. They are inseparable twins. Another characteristic, obviously, that would accompany gentleness is compassion or love that Danny so very well spoke to us of yesterday. The Greek word for gentleness is praotes, and it means gentle, mild, meek, to be an inwrought grace of the soul. Now, to prepare for this topic today, I've looked at a number of scriptures and several sources, and I wish to make clear that I will try my best to give credit where credit is due, because I don't want to make the mistake of Mrs. Trump, who plagiarized, stole the speech of former First Lady Michelle Obama, almost word for word, and then tried to lie to the American public and to the world about where she got her material. So I'm going to try to give, I'm going to try to give uh, credit to my sources. If you're taking notes, the first point is gentleness is not weakness. In the Beatitudes, that great sermon that Jesus gave on the Mount that we are expected as Christians to practice in our lives. In Matthew chapter 5 in the King James Version, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the New American Standard Version, which both Danny and I use, uh, because it's the one that's the most accurate to the Greek translation of the New Testament. In the New American Standard Version, it says, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. But often in our minds, people connect the word meekness with weakness. And I'll be using the words gentleness and meekness because that's part of the translation interchangeably today. But really, the truly meek or gentle person is one who has had their life empowered by the Spirit of God. In our dog-eat-dog -dog worldview, people don't think you can get to the top of your profession if you are a gentle and a meek person. From a small booklet on gentleness by Robert Strand on the nine fruits of the Spirit, he makes a number of very good points on this particular subject, and from which I draw several of my thoughts. He says humility so often seems vaguely desirable, but not really attractive. It might get one to heaven, but it won't promote a raise in pay. See? People think that if you are a gentle or a meek person, you're not going to get to the top. Don't, you won't climb the ladder of success. Because it sounds so spineless, it's incompatible, people think, with intellect and a vigorous spirit and ambition. But in reality, the reverse is actually true. Think of these names. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Abraham Lincoln, Mahatma Gandhi, Moses, Albert Einstein, you know, the guy with the wild hairdo, or Mother Teresa. See, meekness or gentleness is not a false sense of humility, a putting down of yourself. Think of a young carpenter who cleared out 
the temple in Jerusalem. And I, I go to John, the second chapter. There's actually two cleansings of the temple, this being the first. In John chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, and the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers seated. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling the doves, he said, Take these things away. Stop making my father's house a house of merchandise. Is this Jesus, who is gentle and humble of heart, with a scourge of cords? Can you imagine the bedlam in that temple as he drove those animals out, as he overturned the tables of the money changers because they were misusing the temple, God's house of worship? You see, meekness is, first of all, our attitude toward God and not toward man. Meekness is, first of all, our attitude toward God and not to man. Because when our attitude towards God is right, then our attitude towards our fellow man will also be right. Paul said in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, that as Christians, we are to have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, counted, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And he became obedient to the point of death. Paul also said, be imitators of me, as I also am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Quite a statement, Paul, but is it possible? I think it is, because it happens all the time. See, little boys imitate their fathers. Little girls imitate their mothers. And young Christians often imitate older Christians. And when I came, became a member of the Lord's Church at the age of 23, I can tell you I'm thankful for older Christians who helped me model Christ in my life. But the question here, where the rubber meets the road, do I, do I, ask this question, do I have a spirit of gentleness and meekness? And if not, why not? So if we've established, I hope, that gentleness or meekness is not weakness, let me talk about gentleness secondly, second point, gentleness in leadership. Recently at the Central Congregation, which Stacy and I now attend, I preached a sermon on leadership, as I believe this is so very important in every segment of society. But if you read books on leadership, or watch videos, or go to seminars and training sessions, very often, if not usually, the message that will come across of how to get ahead is you need to look out for number one. In other words, you need to look out for yourself. 
few years ago, remember there was a book that was kind of a bestseller, Learn to Swim with the Sharks or something of that nature. Because our narcissistic society in which we live is obsessed with being aggressive, standing up for your rights, speaking out, and not being a wimp. But Jesus' teaching on this subject is the exact opposite. He says the meek or the gentle will inherit the earth, not the Donald Trumps of this world, who are so proud of themselves and of the power that they have been given over others. That's not the attitude that the Lord approves of. But it seems that Jesus' teaching on this subject is out of date, hopelessly simple and impractical. In today's world, the attitude is to get ahead, to get ahead you have to have a hard edge to your personality and your character. You cannot be viewed as being weak or indecisive. And that's because gentleness is not a native plant that grows in the soil of the human heart. Humility, having a humble spirit, is the exact opposite of narcissism, where self is king. And you know, when I look at the TV ads, most of the time I just mute them because I can't stand them. They upset me so much. Especially the car and the truck ads. The one, that's, the one that really gets me is some luxury car now. That, and the, the, the words behind it is jealous, jealous, jealous. To make people want to get that car as if when you got that car that you're better than other people. That's the spirit of the society that we live in. But true leadership means having a servant's heart. Let me, let me share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, where people in the first century church were saying, I am a Paulist, and I'm, I'm a Paul. They were getting little factions or segments. Paul is the guy that I like. Apollos is the guy I like. But listen to what Paul says in verses 6 through 9. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Paul had learned that great lesson of leadership, and that you give glory and honor to God, and not to any small ability that God may have given you in a certain area of life. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in all history, is described in this way. I've highlighted it in my Bible so I can go back and read it frequently. Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Wow. No one could ever accuse Moses of being a wimp. When the law was given on Mount Sinai, God said, go down, because something is happening. And, and Moses went down, and Aaron had made a golden calf for the people 
who were worshiping now this idol. And Moses said, here's, here's the God that delivered you from Egypt. And the people were involved in drinking and sexual promiscuity. And Moses called forth the Levites, and he said, go and kill them. And about 3,000 people died in that day because of their idolatry. No one could ever accuse Moses of being a wimp. And yet he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Third point, gentleness with others. Going back to Jesus' character, he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. There's no other place in the Bible that I can think of where Jesus describes his innermost being, except here. And he says, this is what I'm like inside. I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, where Isaiah prophesied of how Jesus would conduct himself while he was being put to death for our sins, he says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. When I read that, I often think of my father, my deceased father, who told me one time that he watched as a sheep was being put to death for feeding people. And the person who was killing the sheep got the sheep between their knees, pulled their head back, and with a butcher knife cut, cut its throat. And the sheep stood there meekly as it was being killed. I think of that often when I read these verses. As another example of gentleness and humility, from a book entitled More Stories from the Heart, David Seaman says of Corey Tenbloom, and I think her name is familiar to many of you. When asked how she handled all the compliments and praise that was constantly heaped upon her without becoming proud, she said she looked at each compliment as if it was a long-stemmed, beautiful flower that was given to her. She would smell it, this compliment, she said for a moment, and then she'd place it in a vase with all the other flowers, the compliments that had been given to her. And each night before she went to bed, she took the beautiful bouquet and handed it to God, saying, Thank you, Lord, for letting me smell the flowers. They all belong to you. That's an attitude of humility. The proverb writer, in speaking on the benefits of humility, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4, says, The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. You know, this too goes against worldly thinking and living. You've maybe seen... Driving around sometimes, I've seen this bumper sticker. Usually they're on a big truck, a four-wheel drive that's got lifts on them. And the bumper sticker on the back says, the one who has the most toys wins. That's the attitude. The one who gets the most toys, has the most stuff, wins. Listen to what the prophet Micah says in chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, 
and to walk humbly before your God. See, we're called to be gentle with others. On the subject of gentleness, as Stacy and I talked about this, she gave me some good advice here. Maybe I should have got her to outline my sermon for me, actually. Stacy said, you can, what gentleness is not, she said, you cannot be gentle and in a hurry. That's pretty good advice. Parents, you can't be gentle with your kids if you're always in a hurry with them. Yeah, 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 let's go. They try to tell you something and you're too hurried to listen. You cannot be gentle and angry. That's true, too. And because I have a temper, my sister, you say, went with my hair that used to be red. Uh, you cannot be gentle and angry at the same time. And you cannot be gentle and selfish, or you could say narcissistic, where it's all about you. We are called to be gentle. Remember that old acronym, JOY? Jesus, others, and yourself. It's kind of a good rule to live by. Fourth point, gentleness in our actions and in our words. Again, as I started, I say again, I'm not an expert on this subject because I'm a fellow traveler with you on this road of trying to learn to be a gentle person. But gentleness is greatly needed in a world, in the world in which we live as we navigate the storms of life. David Roper, fellow that I often read in my morning devotionals, says, Calm my spirit in the storms, Lord. Grant me your peace and the strength to walk through this day. Notice what David says here. Give me the strength and the peace to walk through this day. Not tomorrow, which we are so often concerned about and making plans about. And I'm guilty of that as, as anybody, of always planning something and have something on the go. Grant me the strength and the peace to walk through this day. As followers of Jesus, we are called upon to show kindness and gentleness and concern for our fellow travelers on the journey of life. See, gentleness does not require long hours of intense study nor spending the great sums of money. It is not something you can be tested on and told, Vince, guess what? You've passed the test of gentleness because you take the test every day. But as we do that, I have the privilege to be a funeral celebrant and to do lots of funerals and tell the stories of many, many interesting people. Like the lady who was in the Nazi concentration camp during World War II, for whom I conducted a funeral service two or three years ago. She was starving herself, even though her job was working in the kitchens and cooking for the Nazi people who ran the camp. But she had a friend who was sick, who was starving, as were many in that horrible place. So, so this lady who worked in the kitchen would steal the potato peelings, which the Nazis didn't th think was fit for human consumption, that it was only to be used as slop for the pigs. And on possible pain of death, 
she would smuggle those potato peelings out of the kitchen to feed her starving friend, even while starving herself. A writer by the name of Cindy Hess, uh, Hess Casper says, too often we have stale attitudes of impatience, criticism, and selfishness, and not enough long-suffering, kindness, and gentleness. You've probably heard that old saying that often kids use, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Not true. Words can destroy a spirit. Words can break a heart. Words can break a relationship. Max Lucado said, nothing, nothing is won by force. I choose to be gentle. If I raise my voice, may it be in praise. If I clench my fist, may it be in prayer. If I make a demand, may it be only on myself. Billy Graham wrote, the word gentle was rarely heard before the Christian era, and the word gentleman was not known. This high quality of character was a direct byproduct of the Christian faith. There is no better time than today to ask God to give us a newness of spirit, a freshness of faith, and a renewed appreciation of him. Wise words from Solomon, the ancient king of the great nation of Israel, are found in Proverbs chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Solomon says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Could we remember this when things are getting tense with someone else? A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. Gentleness is so needed in our narcissistic, selfish world. world. And I want to close with two old songs that popped into my head. Part of one song says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And then that other song, for those dear hearts and gentle people who live in my hometown. May we have love for the dear hearts and the gentle people that we come in contact with. And may we imitate Christ. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and his promise, whatever your burdens today, take them to the Lord. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Thank you.